Amen. Amen. There's a word in one of the songs that uh, that Kelly sang, uh, you know, bringing us into uh, worship. And uh, I'll remember what that song was. Kelly, do you remember what that word was? Huh? No, no. <laughs> it was talking about where God has brought us from. Uh, you know, it was in the course. Uh, you know, and for us, we know and. Uh, you know, the potter's house, uh, you know, we've been brought from the miry clay, you know, clay. He's brought us all the way from the bottom. Uh, you know, we were stuck in the mud of this world. Uh, you know, this morning we talked about that a little bit as far as we were stuck in sin. Uh, you know, but tonight, uh, you know, here we are and we're, we're thinking about this and we're talking about this. And, and then Ron, uh, you know, Ron, Susan, Kelly, Diane, uh, you know. Guys, I want y'all to, under, to kind of grab a hold of this. Uh, you know, um, I love y'all with all my heart. And my love for Southern gospel music is growing. Ron, you blessed me tonight. Because I have a wonderful Savior. And there's times that we need reminders of those. Tonight, uh, you know, we're talking and, and I'm thinking about this. You know, he's brought all of us up from the miry clay. Uh, you know, we were all lost. But now we've been set on that right path. We've been set on the path and we're headed to heaven. Uh, you know, so tonight in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, you know, beginning with the second part of verse 7 and going into 8, there's some things that we, that we get here. But I want us to understand this is that we're looking at this as we are standing in the shadows of eternity because we're Christians uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that everyone that's here tonight has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we're talking and all of our, our testimonies has been about growing closer to God. And, uh, you know, he's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I don't want my thirst for him to ever be quenched. I want to know more and more about him. Uh, you know, yes, th that's what we want. We're on our way to eternity we have stepped into it whenever we've accepted him as Christ, but we're looking forward to that day that we breathe our last here and then we're with him in heaven. Uh, you know, we're looking forward to that. So Peter tells us, he says, now wait a minute. He says, before you get there, there's something that you need to see and there's some things that you need to understand. Uh, so he says in the, in the second part of verse 7, it says, be therefore steady and sober in mind, so that you will really be able to pray as you ought. Above all, cherish each other, and love is consistent and intense, because love hides a multitude of sins. So let's see what we have here. Peter's got us, you know, and he's telling us, he says, okay, he says, the first thing that we need to understand that he's telling us is, is that these verses that we've done, gone through before, that's talked about Jesus dying on the cross and talked about Jesus in the three days that he was there. He went down to hell and he uh, you know, preached to the lost ones that was there for them to accept him as their savior. And then he rose from the grave and then here we are and he's saying he's coming back again and he's coming back soon. And if he's coming back soon, this is things that you need to understand. The first thing that he tells us that we need to understand is that we need to preserve our sanity. So in other words, what he's saying is, is that 
Whenever you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have to have a sane mind. You have to be able to understand what's important and what's not important. We need to understand what we need to worry about today and not worry about today. And we need to understand about the things that we need to plan for and that we need to do for for tomorrow. We have to have a sane mind. This sane mind also that we're talking about here has to deal with this fact that if we have a sane mind, we understand where we are. We had vacation Bible school celebration and closing service this morning. Uh, you know, I want you to know there was three kids, three of those little kids that raised their hands and said that they hadn't received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. One of those three raised their hand and said that they prayed that sinner's prayer. But the thing about it is, <laughs> please don't get wrong. Don't, be, don't get wrong with this. Okay? We miss the boat. Because if Jesus Christ is coming back tomorrow, then we didn't do everything this week that we should have done. We didn't give our all in all to those kids this week. There was something that was missing or we would have had more here and we would have had more receive Christ. The thing about it is, is that we get so caught up in what we're doing that we forget that God tells us what's important. And whenever we're dealing with our relationship with God, he says what's important is, is that you have to live this life out loud so that other people see it, so that you can bring other people to me. So whenever we're living this life out loud, regardless of how old you are, regardless of how young you are, you have grandkids, you have neighbors, you have friends, that they could have been here in this vacation Bible school. But we didn't do it. Why did we not do it? We're really not concentrated on the time. Because if we truly thought that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, we would have done more. Do you understand that in the United States... Someone dies every 15 seconds. Every 15 seconds, someone in the United States breathes their last. Now, do you realize that somewhere around 75 to 80% of those that breathe their last are lost and going straight to hell? But we are too preoccupied. We've got other things going on. The sanity in our mind is, is that we know what is important. And Jesus Christ is important. And we must tell him in his story to everybody that we see. And everybody that we know. The important things must become important to us. And the only way that they can do that is if we're looking at it clearly. Sane. Opposed to being insane. Peter's also telling us here that we need to preserve our sobriety. Now, whenever we look at this sobriety, it changed in meanings over the period. You know, it began dealing with the aspect as far as us not being drunk. So it was saying that to be able to live this life in, in, in the shadows of eternity, we have to make sure... That we're living a pure life. That we're not going out and we're not living in the world. But we're living a pure life. But it's changed from there. From being drunk. And it's brought it back to us. And nowadays we look at it as the translation being more in the aspect of. 
that we need to look at our lives soberly. As in we need to have a right assessment of who we are and where we are. If we don't have the right, the sane mind. Number one, we're, we're not thinking what's important is important. We're thinking all the other things are important. We get our minds straight and we begin to think and we begin to understand what God talks about as far as what's important. We have to assess on how we're handling that. How are we dealing with the important things that we now know because we have a sane mind? I understand that I'm supposed to read my Bible and study God's Word. I'm supposed to pray to Him. I, I understand these things. So now how are you doing with it? We need to check ourselves. We need to be able to look at this and say, okay, I understand who Jesus Christ is. I know that He saved me from my sins. Now I'm doing this, but what's next? It's kind of like, where do we go from here? I know what's important. Now we need to make sure that we're sober and that we are doing what we are supposed to be doing. And then Peter comes up and then he tells us that we need to preserve our prayer life. We need to preserve our prayer life. All these things connect. If you have a sane mind, you know what's important. The important things is Jesus Christ. If you're sober and you know what you're supposed to do, okay, then you pray and you find out how you're supposed to do it. Because through our prayer life, we learn more about God. Because we're talking with Him. These things all interconnect and they all intertwine with one another. I believe that we can have a sane mind, but not be sober. I think it would be very difficult to, be, to have a sane mind, not to be sober, but to preserve our prayer life. Because in the midst of our sanity, we know what we're supposed to do. We know what's important, but we have to vigilantly be at it. We have to be sober and we have to work towards it. So I think for the next step to actually be and for us to deal with our prayer life, we really need to understand that we need to be sober and assess where we are more readily so they connect. The next thing that Peter tells us here is that we must preserve our love. The word love that Peter uses here has two different contrasts or two different meanings, but, but he's meaning them in both ways. So the first way that we're looking at this, uh, you know, Peter means this and he's telling us that love has to be something that is outstretching, okay? Because we can love and not really do anything, right? We can love, but not necessarily do. So Peter is telling us the love that he's talking about here is, is this is something that is outstretching. So the love that we do, it covers or it goes to other people. Uh, you know, we love others. It stretches. So the second meaning is, is that it just simply, it is, it's got to be more than simply a stretchability as in something that will go over and touch someone else. We have to understand that the love that Peter is talking about is not an easy love. The love that Peter is talking about is something that you would, that would kind of be uh, dealt with as far as, uh, you know, a, an athlete or a runner. Uh, you know, uh, there's no pain, no gain. Is that you got, you know, uh, all the athletes, uh, you know, if you've ever worked out, you know, your, your workout partner or if you have a professional workout person, they'll tell you if they're, you know, no pain, no gain. You have to push yourself. That's what Peter's saying. This love that I'm talking about, 
if it doesn't hurt you, maybe you're not doing it right. If love is easy for you, maybe it's not done properly. Because the love that he's talking about is something that stretches, but then it stretches beyond comfortability. And it stretches to where it hurts. It stretches to where it's uneasy. This brings us to the part where we look at this and, uh, you know, and then he goes in and, and he begins to explain this. He begins to explain the power of love. Uh, you know, because as this love stretches and as this love becomes not easy, he then tells us that love covers a multitude of sin. Love covers a multitude of sin. So what does he mean about love covers a multitude of sin? Does it mean if I love you, that my sin in my life is going to be covered? Love covers a multitude of sin. We need to understand, first of all, love covers a multitude of sin, but it does not forgive a multitude of sins. What we're talking about here is that the love that we see and the love that he's talking about that covers a multitude of sin, that would be us as Christians, as God's people, God's chosen people, that we have accepted him and we now call and we are now called children of God. That we meet someone out there on the streets and they're not living a life of forgiveness and they haven't asked God to come into their lives. It covers the multitude of sins as we love that person. It doesn't forgive that person for the sins that they're committing. But it covers them over so that we can love them as God loved us. Unconditionally. He gave his life for us while we were still sinners. He loved us while we were still stuck in the miry clay. He loved us. And that's how we are supposed to do this. The love and the sins that it covers up and it gives us the ability to be able to love every person the same way. Regardless of what they look like, regardless of where they live, regardless of the job that they have, the car that they drive, or the bike that they drive. Or ride. You don't drive a bike, do you? You ride a bike. But it tells us that it covers a multitude of sins. You know, husband and wives. This is really key for us. Because there's times that your spouse will do things that they should not do. But we still love them, right? We still love them. Covers a multitude of sin. You know, another way that we can look at this is that God, His love, covers a multitude of sins. Because His love washes the sins away. Covers a multitude of sins. There's a third possibility here. Because there's, there's some people... There's some people that you might know one or two of them, but you can look at their life and, and their life looks really good. They've got everything together morally. They have everything together theologically. They even have respect of other people, but they have difficulty allowing other people to fall. They have difficulties understanding that someone else could struggle in a situation that they've already conquered in their life. It could be the person or there's, there's another person in this aspect that's really like the complete opposite. That they and you see struggles all through their life. Uh, you know, they, they struggle with this issue or they struggle with that issue. But they're gentle and they're kind. They would give you the shirt off their back. A love, love covers a multitude of sins. Would you rather be the person that was right morally, right theologically, respected among the church, but has difficulty showing love 
to other Christians that have faltered? Or would you want to be the one that was gentle, loving, and kind, but yet struggled through a lot of things? Love covers a multitude of sins. Remember again, it doesn't forgive them unless it's God's love. But I believe Peter's talking about us, to us. I believe he's saying to us as the church that you have to have the love that God has and that God had for you and that you need to love the person regardless of their relationship with him. We have to be covered with God's love. Darla talked about it. You know, whenever we breathe in, we're supposed to breathe out God. Whenever we breathe in, we need to breathe out his love. Whenever we see people, we need to just simply lavish them with love. You know, I, I think that as we, as we get this understanding that it's almost over, and we really understand that, I think one of the problems is, is that we've been hearing that message for over 2,000 years. And even us as Christians that are excited about living in eternity with God, we still live this life as if it's not going to happen while I'm still here on this earth. I've got time. We don't have time. He's going to come back. And it's a whole lot closer than it was 2,000 years ago for him to come back. We've got to begin to live that way. If we're in a hurry to get to heaven, God says that I need you to be in a hurry to get as many people there as you possibly can. You remember um, Jacob's father on his deathbed. What does he do? What does he do on his deathbed? blesses his sons he calls each one of them to his bedside and he makes sure that they receive the blessing and the prayer but in that what is he doing he's reminding them about who God is until we draw our last breath we need to be reminding people of who God is we need to be drawing them to him the church is full tonight it's full of God's spirit Let's stand for dismissal.